0: 2 Samuel 10. In the course of time, the king of the Ammonites died, and his son Hanun succeeded him as king. David thought, I will show kindness to Hanun, son of Nahash, just as his father showed kindness to me. So David sent a delegation to express his sympathy to Hanun concerning his father. When David's men came to the land of the Ammonites, the Ammonite nobles said to Hanun, their lord, do you think David is honoring your father by sending men to to you to express sympathy? Hasn't David sent them to you to explore the city and spy it out and overthrow it? So Hanun seized David's men, shaved off half of each man's beard, cut off their garments in the middle of, at the buttocks, and sent them away. When David was told about this, he sent messengers to meet the men, for they were greatly humiliate, humiliated, sorry, The king said, stay at Jericho till your beards have grown, and then come back. When the Ammonites realized that they had become an offense to David's nostrils, they hired 20,000 Aramean foot soldiers from Beth Rehob and Zobah, as well as the king of Makkah, with a 1,000 men, and also 12,000 men from Tob. On hearing this, David sent Joab out with an entire army of fighting men, the Ammonites came out and drew up in battle formation at the entrance of, to their city gate, while the Arameans of Zobah and Rehob and the men of Tob and Makar were by themselves in the open country. Job saw that there were battle lines in front of him and behind him, so he selected some of the best troops in Israel and deployed them against the Arameans. He put the rest of the men under the command of Abishai, his brother, and deployed them against the Ammonites. Joab said, If the Arameans are too strong for me, then you, come, you, then you are to come to my rescue. But if, if the Ammonites are too strong for you, then I will come to rescue you. Be strong and let us ba- fight bravely for our people and the cities of our God. The Lord will do what is good in his sight. Then Joab and the troops with him advanced to fight the Arameans, and they fled before him. When the Ammonites saw that Arameans were fleeing, they fled before Abishai and went inside the city. So Job returned from finding the Ammonites and came to Jerusalem. After Arameans saw that they had been routed by Israel, they regrouped. Hadadiza had Arameans brought from beyond the river. They went to Halam, with Shobah, the commander of Hadadiza's army, leading them. When David was told of this, he gathered all Israel, crossed the Jordan, and went to Halam. The Arameans formed their battle lines to meet David and fought against him. But they fled before Israel, and David killed 700 of their charioteers and 40,000 of their foot soldiers. He also struck down Shobak, the the commander of their army, and he died there. When all the kings who were vessels of Hadadezer saw that they had been defeated by Israel, they made peace with the Israelites and became subject to them. So the Arameans were afraid to help the Ammonites any more
1: please keep your Bibles open there and also there's an outline of my sermon on the back of your handouts if you want to follow along and or take notes. I reckon I was about a good 23 years old when it really dawned on me just how much I took my parents' kindness for granted granted as a child. Um, My parents weren't perfect parents but they were great and they're still great parents and grandparents. My mum was actually over... Uh, yesterday, well, we went to Kezia and Oliver's wedding last night. Kezia and Oliver are married now, which is really exciting, and heading off on their honeymoon to Fiji tomorrow. If you don't know who they are, Oliver has been running our Thrive Kids Club for the last year or so, and Kezia works on our staff team doing communications and admin t- kinds of things. So if you've got children in primary school or you're a part of this church, then you've got to, <laughs> you're thankful to Kezia and Oliver for their service. So they're married now. It was a great night. Wasn't it, Fletch? your MC, with stunning fashion, can I say. It was very good. Um, I didn't appreciate my parents' kindness. I was 23 before I really realized that. And I actually apologized to them. And I said, you know, you've been really kind parents. And I wasn't really very thankful uh, as a teenager. And thank you uh, for all your kindness to me over the years. They were very kind. And I think when you become a parent yourself... Uh, you start your, your appreciation of your parents goes to a whole new level when you realise how hard it is uh, to be a parent and you realise that you don't actually have a handbook for each of your children that explains to you exactly how you're supposed to raise them throughout their whole life and you also learn that as they get older that it changes, the goalposts keep moving as they get older uh, when you're a parent and so you're, you're constantly building the plane as you fly it kind of thing uh, as a parent. My question for you today is I want to, do you take God's kindness for granted? Or are you thankful to him anew every day? Uh, as you wake up in the morning, are you profoundly thankful to God for life, for your home, for your family, for your church, for your work? Uh, are you profoundly thankful for Jesus, for your next breath? Or do we kind of grab God's immense blessings to us every morning and run into the busyness Uh, of our day without sparing him a thought. And I can tell you that I often wake up in a hurry, in a rush, to get into the day with all the busy things that I need to do, um, and I grab God's blessings and I just run without even sparing a thought and taking time to say thank you uh, to God for his kindness. I just ignore it and take it for granted. To be so thankless to God for his kindness is actually to despise God. It's to really treat him quite poorly. And if we're not careful, it can lead to rejecting God completely if we're not thankful for his kindness and take it for granted. So I've got a few questions for us to consider uh, this morning as we look at 2, 2 Samuel chapter 10. What happens when we despise God's kindness? And moreover, what happens when we reject God's kindness? And conversely, what happens when we acknowledge God's kindness? And we thank him for it on a regular basis. Well, chapter 10 actually starts out very similarly to chapter 9, in that King David is hunting around for someone to bless. Uh, On this occasion, it's not the Israelite Mephibosheth, as it was last week. It's the king of the Ammonites, which is really unusual, because David's now looking outside the kingdom of Israel for someone to bless. Mephibosheth was an Israelite. So it made although he was from Saul, an enemy of God, an enemy of David, but he was an Israelite, so it made some sense to bless him. But now David's looking to bless the Ammonites, a non-Israelite person. Uh, Hunan's just lost his uh, father, Nahash, he's died. And so naturally David expects that he will be sad. And there's also a lot of turmoil that goes on once a king dies and a new king Uh, comes to the throne. So David, in his kindness, wants to send messengers to the new king uh, to just send his condolences uh, and encouragement. Now, historically, uh, the Ammonites, and Nahash in particular, had been a cruel tyrant and a great enemy uh, of the kingdom of Israel, although he had shown some kindness to David once, and that's mentioned in these first couple of verses. Nahash actually gave David shelter at one time when he was running from Saul who was trying to kill him. So let's look again at verses 1 and 2. In the course of time, the king of the Ammonites died and his son Hanun succeeded him as king. David thought, I'll show kindness to Hanun, son of Nahash, just as his father showed kindness to me. So David sent a delegation to express his sympathy to Hanun concerning Hanun's father. Now, what's going to happen? Well, as I mentioned, David's kindness is now going out beyond Israel, which might seem strange, but it was God's plan. And it was God's promise to Abram way back in Genesis chapter 12, way back at the start of the Bible. Um, Genesis 12, the Lord said to Abram, it's on the screen, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I'll make you into a great nation. I'll bless you. I'll make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. I mean, assuming they accept the blessing on offer, right? Otherwise, they're not blessed if they don't accept the blessing. And unfortunately, this is the case in 2 Samuel chapter 10. Hanun, the king of the Ammonites, does not accept the blessing that's on offer to him from David. When David's men came to the land of the Ammonites (verse 3), the Ammonite commanders said to Hanun, their lord, "Do you? I mean, do you really think David is honouring your father by sending envoys to you to express sympathy?" Hasn't David sent them to you only to explore the city and spy it out and overthrow it? David's army is much more powerful than Hanun's army and the cities aren't that far apart and the Ammonites are sceptical. They doubt this kindness. So Hanun seized David's envoys, shaved off half of each man's beard, cut off their garments at the buttocks, embarrassing, and sent them away. So instead of receiving God's kindness... Through David, joyfully, they despise his kindness. The Ammonite commanders doubt the kindness of the king. They question the kindness of the king. We talked about this last week, too, didn't we? They conclude that his kindness is not genuine. It's a trick. And they willfully decide to despise his kindness. They willfully decide to seize the men, forcibly cut off half their beards, cut the pants out of their garments, exposing their bare behinds and then sending them back home. This was the ultimate act of humiliation, especially for an Israelite. You see, it was forbidden under Levitical law for an Israelite to cut his beard. Look at chapter 19, verse 27 of Leviticus. Do not cut the hair at the sides of your head or clip off the edges of your beard. And the evil Ammonite king knew this. He knew the Levitical law, which is why he had this done specifically to these men. And to add insult to insult, he exposed their bare behinds for their walk of shame back home to Jerusalem. Now, no doubt, King David would have been furious and launched a full-scale assault against these enemies of God whose army was significantly inferior to his and smashed them to pieces for such an insult, right? Right? You'd think that would be the case, but let's see how David responds. When David was told about this, he sent messengers out to the men. So they've gone to the east to the Ammonites, and then on their way back, David hears that they've been insulted and abused like this. David sends messengers out to them, and he says, stay at Jericho, which is kind of halfway back. Stay at Jericho, and I'll look after you. your beards have grown, and then come back. There's no tantrum from David for what, he's, what they've done, the Ammonites. There's no hissy fit. There's no, where's my sword and armor? I've had it with these Ammonites. None of that. David calmly shows kindness to his own men. He tells them to shelter at Jericho for a few weeks until their beards are grow back and they can regain their honor. So his kindness extends to his people. Can you relate to David in this circumstance? Picture it like... Imagine the person who's an enemy of yours, and you show them great kindness, and they spit in your face, and you, coolly, calmly, don't get angry, you don't get upset, you don't react right. That's how we all, when we're insulted, that's how we all respond, right? Cool, calm, collected, it's okay, right? Wrong. <laughs> that's not how we react. We get angry. We react. We get Furious and we want justice and we want, to, you know, revenge. But that's not how David reacts. And that's not how God reacts either. You see, David is the man after God, after God's own heart. He reacts slowly. God is slow to anger. God is full of compassion. And David is a great example of God right here. Slow to anger at the Ammonites, full of compassion for his men who've been insulted and humiliated. Slow to judge, quick to patience and forbearance, even with stubborn children like this one. But the Ammonites just assume that David is throwing a hissy fit and reaching for his sword and armor, even though he's not. And tragically, it's that false expectation that is what they react to. I wonder if you can relate to that too, reacting to what you think is actually happening when it's not actually (laughs) happening. Um, So Hanun decides he must have offended the king. Hanun Hanun assumes the king is furious when he's not. And so Hanun prepares for battle. Look at verse 6. When the Ammonites realized they'd become obnoxious to David, which they hadn't, They hired 20,000 Aramean foot soldiers from Beth, Rehob, and Zobar, as well as the king of Markar with 1,000 men and also 12,000 men from Tob. On hearing this, David sent Joab out with the entire army of fighting men. The Ammonites came out and drew up in battle formation at the entrance of their city gate, while the Arameans of Zobar and Rehob and the men of Tob and Markar were by themselves in the open country. David's not angry. He's not preparing for war. Hanun's mistaken. But Hanun decides to go to war. And not only that, he ropes in a few other suckers, 33,000 other suckers, uh, to help him in his stupidity. Now, it took me some time to kind of get my head around the geography here. There's all these different kings and countries and men coming from all over the place and what's going on. And um, I want you to, I worked it out, you'll be glad to know. But I want you to kind of really understand it as well what's, what's exactly happening. Um, not so much so you'll have your Israelite history in check, although that's you know, it's a fun lesson. But there's a really, really important life lesson um, buried uh, in the details here. So I'm going to try to help you get your head around um, what's going on, okay? Now this has got a laser point I discovered this morning. See the green dot? Isn't that cool? Great. Hey, high tech. Now. You can clearly see where Ammon is in the big black writing there on the right. That's where the Ammonites live. Um, and their capital is Rabath, just below the big uh, black Ammon there. So that's Rabbath, That's the capital. So that's where the messengers would have been sent from Jerusalem here over to Rabath uh, here to give the message uh, that um, David's really sorry that you've lost your dad and, you know, he's rooting for you now that you're the new king. And then the men were insulted and halfway, Jericho's on the map, but Jericho's kind of halfway back. That's where they kind of hung out and grew their beards back and um, got some new pants. Um, Now, Aram, where Arameans come from, is kind of this whole region to the north, up here and then up into the roof, is this whole kind of region up here is Aram. So that's where all these countries, that's where these nations, these soldiers are coming from, is these Aramean nations to the north. Beth Rehob, Zobar, Tob, and Makar. That's where these guys are coming from, uh, up in the north. So Zobar offers up 20,000 uh, foot soldiers. The king of Markar, Apidli, 1,000 soldiers. And then 12,000 all come from Tob, all Arameans, because that's Aram. That's the kind of region of Aram. Make sense so far? We're good. All right. So all 33,000 of these soldiers coming from the north march down this green line and past the capital of the Ammonites, Rabah, and, and they keep coming right down to near Medabar, and they assemble in open country, sort of to the, to the south uh, of the Ammonite capital. So they've walked all this way. Hanun's just this crafty king. He gets them to walk all the way down there, and he just walks out the front door right, of his... Capital and hangs here in the north. So the Ammonites are here in the north and all these dudes are down here in the south and Joab is marching from Jerusalem right into a trap in the middle. Okay, does that make sense? (laughs) Yep. Now David has to respond. He has to send out his army now because he's he's in in danger. His, His city's in danger. All these soldiers are marching just over the Jordan River to the east, not far away. Um, so he sends Joab out, and Joab heads east, but he doesn't realise he's heading into the middle um, of a trap. It's a pretty bold strategic move by Hanun, really, and surely the Israelites don't stand a chance. Now, I want you to use your imagination and picture the, picture the scene. It's the, it's the high point in the movie that's got the big armies and the war and the trumpets and the sound and the music kind of rises up and I don't know if you know the opening scene of Gladiator where there's the barbarians coming down the hill from the forest and all the Roman soldiers are gathered and the big battle happens and, and Maximus comes down through the forest with his wolf dog thing and maybe not. Maybe Lord of the Rings where the orcs are besieging Minas Tirith and, and then the, the, Ro- the men of Rohan come down the hill on their horses and the Theodon blows the horn the horns blow and the music sl- and they come down and there's a the big, okay. Or maybe Picture the Roman centurions and the cowboys in Night of the Museum when they're all going... Little, 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 little. Maybe not so much that one, but the other ones. Um, you get, there's an epic battle scene, right? And the goodies, um, the Israelites, are walking right into a trap. So it's tense. It's tense and the music's playing and the horns are blaring and it's all that kind of thing. And I'm not going to put it on the screen. I want you to visualize it in your mind. You ready? Joab's going out. He's got his army. He saw there were battle lines in front of him And behind him. So they're north and south. So, he selected some of his best troops in Israel and he deployed them against the Arameans to the south. He put the rest of the men under the command of Abishai, his brother, and deployed them against the Ammonites to the north. Joab said, If the Arameans are too strong for me, you've got to come to my rescue. But if the Ammonites are too strong for you, then I'll come to rescue you. Be strong. Let us fight bravely for our people and the cities of our God. The Lord will do what is good in his sight. And off they go into battle and the horns and the music and all that kind of thing and the horses and the chariots and it's all happening and Joab and his troops with him advance to fight the Arameans and they ran away. And presumably the Arameans ran back up the green line, back past the kind of Ammonite army and the Ammonite army looked to the east and they saw all this dust in the air and they're like, what is that? The Aramean army's running away. So the Ammonites fled and went back inside the city and shut the door. And that was it. And you're like, why did we hire this movie? That was terrible. I was so excited. <laughs> it's all over. Now, for all his faults in the past, I love what Joab said. Joab said, I've got your back and you watch my back. And at the end of the day, God's got both our backs and we'll be right. And he was right, wasn't he? They all ran away. How good is that? Now, they all did the smart thing by running away. Because these are the armies of God. They've got God on their side. They've got God's anointed king as their king. To run away and not pick a fight with the armies of God, clever. Better off trying to surf a tsunami than oppose God. Now, that's it for Hanun and the Ammonites in this story. They're finished all over They've gone back home, they're done. They go inside the city, they raise the drawbridge, they release the crocodiles, they put their feet up and they flick on Netflix. That's it. They're finished. Now, I bet they've got one eye on the screen and one eye out the window waiting for David to come down the hill and destroy them because not only have they insulted him, but they've picked a fight against him and threatened his city. I'll bet they've got the unpleasant, anxious knowledge that despised the king of Israel, and their days are numbered, and judgment is coming. And what a horrible place to be, to know that you're an enemy of the king, and judgment is coming. And that's what they are. Ugh. Now, <coughs> the Ammonites. You'd be thinking... <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> Sorry. If you're the Arameans, what would you do? Okay, The Ammonites picked the fight with the Israelites, and then they roped you in, and then the Ammonites ran away and shut the doors to the city. What would you do? Sure, you'd be like, well, if they're out, we're out, you know? They're not even going to fight their own battles. Well, we're out of here. No harm done. No one got hurt. Everyone got a bit of exercise. We took a nice walk (laughs) down and back again. Good cardio. That's good. No. That's not what happens. Verse 15. After the Arameans saw they'd been routed by Israel, they regrouped. Hadadiza had Arameans brought from beyond the Euphrates River. They went to Helam with Shobak, the commander of Hadadiza's army, leading them. Idiots. So they head back to the north, up here, and then they regroup. They pull some more men down from beyond the Euphrates, which is way to the north, and they assemble here at Helam. Stupid. Now, Hadadezer, he's the king of Zobar, and so he takes charge because Hunan, he's at home watching Netflix. Um, Zobar puts his best general, Shobak, in command of the army, and no doubt they had the biggest army already. They had 20,000 guys, so he kind of takes charge. He's still got the troops from Beth Rehob, Marker, and Tob, presumably, on his side. And he brings more Arameans down from beyond the Euphrates River. We don't know how many. And Hadadezer says, we've got this, guys. We've got them covered. We can do this, okay? We can do this. We can take Israel together. Wrong he is. And there's a gruesome scene in verse 17. When David was told of this, that again, they'd regrouped, he gathered all Israel, he crossed the Jordan, he went to Helam up in the north, the Arameans formed their battle lines to meet David, and they fought against him, but they fled before Israel. David killed 700 of their charioteers and 40,000 of their foot soldiers. no report of any Israelite casualties. He struck down Shobak, the commander of their army, and he died there, quite possibly struck him down himself. Personally, we don't know. Um, when all the kings, all those different kings, who were vassals, so were kind of working for, had dezer, Saw they had been routed by Israel, they made peace with the Israelites. Sorry, they became subject to the Israelites. So the Arameans were afraid to help the Ammonites anymore. Smart, finally. But it took the loss of 40,700 guys for them to realize this was a really bad idea. The king's judgment is comprehensive. He delayed his judgment, but eventually was forced to judge. And of course, his judgment was comprehensive. He is the anointed king of Israel. He is King David. He has Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit on his side. The Arameans should have fled when they had a chance. They should have just gone home, but they stubbornly willfully despised the kindness of the king. Did you see the enemies of God actually had three chances? It's the old three chances that you know, the parents can give you three chances. Um, the old three chances. First chance, David offered Hanun kindness and he rejected it. He shaved off their beards and cut their pants and rejected the kindness of the king. Secondly, David didn't launch a full-scale offensive against the Ammonites despite the fact they'd insulted and humiliated his messengers. But they attacked him anyway and in doing so, they spit in David's face and thirdly, When David was forced to send his army out to protect his own people and the enemy ran away, David didn't chase after them. He called his army back into Jerusalem and shut the doors. But the Arameans regrouped and despised his kindness and attacked again. There was three chances for the enemies of God and tragically they accepted none of David's offers of kindness and instead willfully chose Judgment. Willfully, deliberately chose judgment. Now, can I re- point out and remind you that the Arameans at this point in time have been judged; they've been defeated by a fight that was started by the Ammonites. The Arameans have been judged and killed, wiped out partially. <clears throat> the Ammonites are happily at home with their feet up, watching Netflix, and none no picked the fight. And the Arameans are the ones who have paid for it so far. But we're going to sneak a peek into chapter 11, verse 1. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. Thrice despising the kindness of the king resulted in a tragic and sticky end for all of the enemies of God. The Ammonites were finished. Well, what does this mean for us, friends? I've got two points of application, both phrased in both the negative, which is, you can't do that anymore, but I've done it. Scandalous, I know. Don't despise the kindness of God, is my first point. Don't despise the kindness of God. Accept his love and mercy joyfully. So many in our world shake their fist at our loving God and reject the Lord Jesus And hate him. As we saw in our story today, the rulers banded together against Israel and against his anointed king. And I wonder if you were reminded of Psalm 2. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed. Saying, let's break their chains and throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger. He terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I've installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. Anyone who willfully rejects the kindness of God and rejects the Lord Jesus given to us kindly and freely will meet a tragic and sticky end. Our God is the almighty God of the universe. We must submit to his loving and kind rule. And why wouldn't you? Because it's loving and kind. Else we find ourselves suffering his wrath and judgment, which is good and righteous. But remember, this is not his desire. His desire is not to judge, his desire is to bless and to show mercy. Like David, God is slow to anger. Slow to judge those with us, with stubborn hearts. He's patient with sinners. I wonder if you're someone who knows you've had multiple chances to put your trust in Jesus and you just keep stubbornly rejecting him. There's too many Christians in your life who've come along and, and, and showed you the kindness of God for you to consider it a coincidence. Too many times you, you've heard sermons or read books or heard talks on the goodness of God and still you've rejected him and it's getting to the point where you know it's, it's willful, it's stubborn. Can I implore you to reject him no more? To accept God's offer of love and kindness and mercy and forgiveness and grace on offer to all of us through the Lord Jesus. Accept his kindness. Welcome his kindness. It is true. It is not too good to be true. It is true. And it's for us all. Our God is a just God. He longs to show mercy, but he will not allow sin to go unpunished forever. The Ammonites knew the judgment was coming. We know the judgment is coming because Jesus has died and risen and ascended into heaven and promised he will return again to judge the living and the dead. There will be a judgment day, but God longs to bless. So please, accept his kindness before it's too late. Jesus could return today. We don't know. Secondly, don't side with the enemies of God. The Arameans were idiots to go into battle against God's chosen nation and anointed king at the beckoning of the Ammonites. Fools. They should have submitted to the loving rule of King David before they lost 700 charioteers and 40,000 men. Not before. Once they'd lost all those men, they're like, okay, now we should submit. I think we need to ask ourselves two things. One is, who are we listening to? Who are we taking advice from? Who are we following the lead of? Who are we associating with? The Arameans thought it would be a good idea to take advice from the Ammonites and join in a battle with them against God. Are you listening to people or taking advice from people who lead you into sin? Who lead you into opposition against God? Who lead you to doubt and question and despise and reject the kindness of God? Who are you listening to? Who are you taking advice from? Or worse, is there people that you're following into sin and then they bail on you? They bail out and leave you holding the ball like the Ammonites did. We are God's precious chosen people, and as such, we ought to trust in his kindness to us. Trust his goodness to us. Thank him for his kindness and his goodness to us, afresh each day. Remember his kindness every morning in prayer. Remember remember his blessing of our families, our homes, our work, our health, the sunshine, the rain, our next breath. Our loving Lord Jesus, remember God's kindness to you in prayer and you will ignore the enemies of God who tempt you to doubt his kindness. Thanking God for his kindness leads you to contentment in his kindness. Secondly, who are we siding with? Are we siding with people who are against and opposed to our loving Lord God? It can be scary in our culture to stand up and say to a Muslim or a Hindu, no, your faith is wrong. Jesus is the one true king and the only way to salvation in heaven, actually. There's only one way to be saved, and that is through Christ and him alone. If It can be scary in our culture to stand up and say sexual sin is wrong, and we won't actually tolerate it as followers of Jesus. Practicing homosexuality is sin. Sleeping together before you're married is sin. Watching pornography on the internet is sin. Adultery with another man or woman who is not your husband or wife is sin. And we won't tolerate it as followers of Jesus. And we won't support and encourage people who are doing these sins. And I was proud of those footy players who stood up and said, no, we won't wear the jersey with the rainbow colours on it. We're not going to encourage and support people who are involved in sin. And we're not going to be involved in sin ourselves. If you're struggling in sexual sin in any way, please come to get some help. Speak to me, speak to Carol, speak to someone else and get some help. We must not side with encourage and endorse. David loved his enemies. So much that much is clear. He was kind to Mephibosheth and welcomed him in, even though his grandfather tried to kill him on multiple occasions. He was kind to the Ammonite king, even though his father was a cruel tyrant who made murderous threats towards Israel time and time again. I'm not saying be unkind uh, to, to people who, who live in sin. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying we must not side with them and say, this is okay, the way you're living is okay. It's not okay. It's opposed to God. We must not side with the enemies of God and endorse and encourage and condone their sin in any way. Love them, call them to repentance and faith lovingly, sure. But don't condone or support their sin in any way. To willfully, continually deny God's kindness results in judgment, wrath and death. But the flip side we learned last week in chapter 9 If we accept God's kindness, that results in life and blessing and an eternal seat at the Lord Jesus' table forever. To remember God's kindness and thank Him for it each day leads to contentment, leads to joy, leads to great love for other people in your life. Please join me in prayer. Loving Father and Almighty God, you are so good and kind and patient in ways we are not and we can't ever even imagine being. We thank you for your love poured out to us through the Lord Jesus. Lord, help us to be thankful every day for your kindness to us in so many ways, most of all in the Lord Jesus. May we be people who honour you with our lives, grow us in our godliness. Lord, we pray that we will reach out with the good news of the gospel to your enemies and to our enemies. But Father, may we never condone their behavior. May we never side with those who are opposed to you, lest we fall under the same judgment as them. We pray, Lord, for those who are opposed to you, that you will be merciful, that you'll lead them to repentance and faith in Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.